at Power Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pell entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Packers lose Marquez Valdez Scantling. He signs with the Kansas City Chiefs. I, look, I understand they're going to have trouble replacing him, but the Chiefs, in my opinion, way overpaid. $30 million contract um, for three years. Valdez Scantling made some great plays and was really, really fast. But but he was the guy that, with all due respect, if he was walking past a burning building and somebody was throwing a baby out of the third floor, you, you didn't necessarily want to have him be the one that had to catch the baby. And, and made some great plays, but I think the Packers can replace him. And you certainly wasn't going to. They weren't going to pay $30 million over three years. I think they can end up doing better. The Oscars are this weekend and we talked about earlier this week about how well nobody watches the oscars anymore and i know whenever i talk about this i have a friend who grew up in los angeles and his kids work in the entertainment industry and they seem to believe that people care about the oscars as much as they ever did but but no that's not true the oscars last year for example drew an all-time low rating of 9.8 5 million viewers. To give you a perspective on that, that's less than what an episode of The Big Bang Theory used to draw. Now, I mean, I understand last year was an odd year. You had the pandemic. You had, you know, a lack of theatrical releases. But the reality is the numbers for the Oscars have been plummeting for a long time. In the 1990s, they pulled in about 55 million viewers in the U.S. In the 2000s, they drew about 40 million. By the 2010s, they were in the 30 millions. And then uh, by the end of that decade, they were drawing in about 20 millions. But but the bottom line is it, it's fallen, just the, the, the ratings have completely cratered. Now, will they be more than 9 million this year? You know, who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe not. You would almost think that they couldn't be less than that. But whatever the numbers for the Oscars are now, and they're not going to be good, it's going to get worse. One of my arguments has been the, the reason people are tuned out on this is, first of all, n- nobody sees any of the movies. And, and secondly, lots and lots of people, particularly folks like us in flyover country, you know, we, <clears throat> we don't want to sit there for three and a half hours and be preached to by a, a bunch of <clears throat> the Hollywood elite. So you, you, you've got all that going on, plus, you know, lot, lots of people just flat out don't care. But if you think you don't care now, Wait till you hear about Aperture 2025, and, and lest you not believe me, I have I have a link to this story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I've got a link to this because <clears throat> here's what Hollywood is doing. It is their latest initiative by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to make Hollywood, and I'm putting this in quotation marks, more equitable and diverse. In other words, they want to be more woke. So what they're doing is they're changing the rules by which firms are eligible for the Best Picture nomination. 
Okay, so it, it always used to be. Remember, they, they'd have they'd have five Best Picture nominees, and there'd be a panel somewhere that would you know choose those five, and then you know the members of the Academy would vote. Well, now now there's like nine or ten, so it, it's all spread out, which is why a bunch of the nominees are movies that not only have you never seen, you've probably never even heard of. But all right, starting in 2024, here is how Aperture 2025 will work. And that would be, in 2025, they'll be giving out the nominee, the awards for what happened in 2024. Starting in 2024, producers of movies will have to submit a summation of the race, the gender, the sexual orientation, and the disability status of members of their movies, cast, and crew. So if you want your picture considered for any of these awards... You've got to submit to this, whatever this committee is going to be, a list of the race, gender, sexual orientation, and disability status of members of the movie's cast and crew. If a particular movie does not have enough people of color or disabled people or gays or lesbians working on the set, and and what is enough is kind of this vague thing. Um, you know, there, there's all these different formulas that determine how many lesbians you have to have and how many, um, you know, how many disabled people and how many people of color. But in any event, if your movie doesn't fit into these different criterias, your movie will no longer be eligible for an Oscar. So you could have Gone with the Wind, you could have Citizen Kane, you could have Casablanca, you could have the greatest movie ever made. And and actually, it could be a movie, for example, <clears throat> that you know, addresses issues about people with disabilities or persons of color or, you know, the transgender people or people with sexual orientation, whatever. But if you don't have enough cast and crew that fit into this particular category or that particular category, it doesn't get it doesn't get considered for Oscars. You know, and if you you want to talk about something that could make the Oscars even less relevant than they are now, I would argue only allowing pictures that meet a certain standard of wokeness to qualify for an Oscar, well, that pretty much guarantees that, you know, if they drew 9 million people this year, they're probably going to draw a lot less in 2025. Because if people don't care now, once you've got this sort of litmus test, this quota test, that pretty much guarantees that nobody will care. All right, when we come back, why don't the brewers have a beer district? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Stick around. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Windows and Doors, Wisconsin. Looking to brighten up your home? Get in touch with the window and door professionals at Pella Windows and Doors, Wisconsin, to get started on making your property look and feel more incredible today. For more information, call 888-284-1344 or visit PellaWI.com today. All right. There was an interesting piece that I saw in Milwaukee Magazine. I've got a link to it. Again, if you if you follow me on t- Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. One of the, the really, you know, a couple of the really great successes are around the, the state have been the, the Deer District. So after, you know, Pfizer Forum w- was built, what happened then is you had that, that whole area, the plaza 
outside of Fiserv, which was built, and you have a number of, of bars and restaurants that are in that area, and, and also in the surrounding area. You, you've, and, you know, we saw what happened when the Bucks had their playoff run. You had lots of people who flocked down into the Deer District and, you know, watch the game on big screen TVs and you set up all sorts of outside bars and things like that. But but there's no doubt that the Deer District was a population magnet. It was a people attractor, even for people who, who didn't have tickets to the game. And, and as a result of that, you had a, a great experience for, you know, people who wanted to go down into that area. Matter of fact, a lot of people who had tickets to the game were, were drawn there. And it used to be at Bucks games, for example, you know, you would, you would go down, you would park your car, you would walk into, in this case, the Pfizer Forum or the Bradley Center or the arena or whatever, and you'd sit down and watch the game. Well, be, with the with the rise of the Deer District, you see, again, it, it's a people magnet. You see lots of people that are going down there, and, and even if you've got tickets, maybe you're going to go down two hours early and you're going to hang out. The same thing ha- has turned out to have happened up by Lambeau Field. If you've ever seen, I mean, they, they call it Titletown. It's, I think officially it's the Titletown District. But if you've been up there, on a game day, for example, that the whole area is packed. Yes, you still have people that tailgate in the parking lot, but there's all sorts of other people that come up and they wander around and they go to the different bars and the different restaurants and the different things that are in that area. In addition, the Titletown District is a classic example of this. There, There's all sorts of people that are there even when, when the Packers aren't playing. Even when it's not a, a game day Sunday, people are attracted to Lambeau Field. Maybe they're going to take a tour of Lambeau Field or go to the Hall of Fame or whatever, but they're going to go into the Titletown district surrounding Lambeau Field. And once again, it's an attraction that draws people. Well, you see this also in different places if, if you've been to Wrigley Field. You know, you, you've got, you know, Cubsville or whatever they, they, they call it, you know, Wrigleyville, you know, where, where people go to the area and they hang out and they go to the bars and restaurants. That's one of the things that you're starting to see around more and more sporting areas that you have destinations. They become destinations beyond just the stadium and, and the game. Well, this piece in Milwaukee Magazine that I found very, very interesting and I wanted to discuss with you says – the Brewers don't have that. The, the Brewers, essentially, you drive to American Family Field, and you park at American Family Field, and, and maybe you tailgate out in the parking lot. Or you park at American Family Field, and you go directly into the game and enjoy all the amenities that they have at the stadium, and they have lots of amenities. But as far as that area surrounding American Family Field, there, there's really nothing going on now you you do have like bars and restaurants that are you know to the north for example blue mound road and stuff and and they'll bus people in to the game but they're not close it's not like gee i'm going down into the area i'm going to park and then i'm going to walk around and i'm going to have my choice of 15 or 20 different restaurants or, or places to go i mean American Family Field, for all intents and purposes, it, it, it's a destination in and of itself. But there's nothing in the surrounding area that would attract you, you, you to go. And, you know, that's why as a practical matter, and the, the piece in Milwaukee Magazine, you know, asks this. I mean, how many people 
have, the, what do they call the restaurant now? The restaurant to be named later, which in my opinion is one of the worst names for a restaurant ever, but I digress. I mean, it says, like, like how many people really go there, have ever gone there outside of a game day? Now, maybe a handful, but it, it's, I mean, that's the only attraction that's there. And the point of this Milwaukee Magazine article is, shouldn't we have... Shouldn't we have a beer district surrounding American Family Field? Now, what they suggest, at least what the writer suggests, is that that stadium interchange, um, you know, the, the thing that you know, pierces off I-94 and goes about like two miles to Miller Park and then dumps out like on National Avenue, what they say, the suggestion is that should essentially be torn down and, and that area surrounding it, that should be turned into an entertainment district so people could go and they could park and they could hang out and then maybe it would be something that would attract people even when the brewers aren't playing. All right, I thought this was interesting. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would a beer district, for want of a better term, around American Family Field, would that be a success? Now, if you think about it, like I say, there's... It's it's pretty much commercial lots, and in some cases, there's like there's one one of the areas that they'd be looking at is being vacated by an industrial company who might have already moved. I'm not positive about that, but there would be be space. I mean, right now, there's really nothing in that area that would attract people beyond American Family Field. So, a beer district would that work, or is it unnecessary? Would would people do people need that, and would they go to it? Because, like I say now, you do have tailgating, you do have great amenities inside American Family Field, and you do have off-property, you know, um, restaurants and bars that run that run shuttles and buses back and forth. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Would a beer district succeed? Or would it just be something that, hey, if you're going to the Brewers game, you're, you're going to either tailgate or you're going to go into the game? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. So the idea is being at least floated in theory that we, we've got Titletown up in Green Bay. We've got the Deer District. Should we have a, a beer district? And that is take an area around American Family Field. I'm resisting the urge to call it Miller Park. Um, maybe tear down that, that I-75, that the that the freeway that comes off the main freeway, I-94, and goes about two miles and then dumps out on city streets and use some of that vacant land that's there to create something like the Deer District or something like Titletown. Would that work? Would people go to that around Brewers Days, or would they go to it maybe when there's not even a game that's being played? Or is it just unnecessary because you've got tons of parking, and you've got all the amenities for tailgating, and you've got all the amenities that go on at American Family Field? Let's start with Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, I, I, uh, I know the Cubs... They're in a very uh, populated area, so all the businesses around in Wrigleyville can be are supported by all the people that live there in that area. Um, you know, a lot of people like tailgating, and you've got the bars that'll bus you there, and you don't have to pay parking. Um, it's already really expensive to go to game. Uh, I don't know if the area would um, sustain people when um, the brewer season was over. I, I, you know, I mean, they they wanted uh, Seelig to build a stadium. Yeah, they wanted Seelig to build a stadium downtown. He didn't want to do that. 
And, um, I mean, to some level it would work. Maybe it would bring younger people in. Maybe younger people don't want to tailgate, you know, like um, the older people. And maybe it's easier. You don't have to bring a grill. You don't have to. But, you know, I don't I don't think it would be uh, worth it myself. Okay, Bob, th- thanks for the call. Well, you're uh I mean, I, I guess, you know, you're you're right to to an extent when you say like at Wrigleyville, there there's people that live around there, but if you look at when Wrigleyville is really busy, it it's it's around the the Cubs games and it becomes an attraction. I guess the the question would be, could it be something Look at Titletown. Now, Titletown up in Green Bay, it's it's packed, of course, on Packers games, but it it's a destination nation now as well on days even when the Packers aren't playing. Now it's centered around Lambeau Field and maybe you can make the argument that the cachet of Lambeau Field is perhaps different than the cachet of American Family Field, but would this be something that would be successful? We're going to continue this conversation after the news because I think it's just such an intriguing idea, and I guess I've got some thoughts on it as well. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620, what do you think about expanding the the area around American Family Field, could you turn it into a beer district? And if you built it, would people go? 855-616-1620. Back with more in just a minute. 855-616-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, I think the wheels for this are in motion already. Komatsu Mining, whose sprawling campus on the corner of 43rd National, will be vacant soon. Yeah, they're, they're moving to the Harbor District and further to the west side, and that's going to open up a lot of areas soon. I think it would work because I also think it would be more popular than the Deer District because of the summertime months and the baseball season. I do acknowledge it could affect the Blue Mound area bars. 855-616-1620. Do you need it, and would people come? And, and here's, I mean, I guess here, here's sort of the question. The, the question the brewers have no trouble bringing people into that area on on game days i mean you know they, they have huge attendance and things like that but let's face it on, on non-game days there, there's nothing going on out there because there's really nothing to attract people into that area so if you built if you turned it into kind of an entertainment center would that draw people there would the draw of being around the stadium would that bring people in would it bring people who don't have tickets to the brewers game but nevertheless want to be where the action is during game day would they come down? 855-616-1620. Matt in Whitefish Bay. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Big fan. Um, so the uh, trolley we have would make a huge impact if it made its way over there. I think everybody loves to tailgate. That's just our signature move. But, you know, maybe if there isn't a game playing or, you know, you, you just want to get use out of it, I think it would really draw a lot of people if we could use this tool and and connect the dots and and kind of make it a you know a one one for all kind of entertainment experience where you could see all the hometowns and i think that really would would make it a success but otherwise i think everybody's happy just you know grilling out of their tailgate and and uh you know enjoying the experience that we're all accustomed to yeah well thanks for calling matt i mean i guess that that's all right here's the problem with that to to expand the the trolley Right now, just to expand the trolley um, an extra seven miles into, like, the third ward and into the near north side and to run it past Fiserv, the, the, the cost you're looking at at that is about $330 million, and, and that's what's on the table. To try to run that trolley out 
let's say down Canal Street, past Potawatomi, all the way to the stadium. I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I, if, if I say a billion dollars, I, I don't know that that's unrealistic. Now, some people might say might not cost that much. But the truth is, I think that's actually a non-starter in, in, in the real world, given all the needs of, of even the legitimate needs for mass transit, the, the cost of running the streetcar line all the way out there, I, I think would just be incredibly, incredibly prohibitive. Now, you know, maybe somebody's going to come up with maybe somebody said, Jeff, it's not it's not going to be a billion. It would be seven hundred fifty million. Okay, well, I, I just again, I don't I don't know that that's going to happen. So if that's the prerequisite, I, I don't think that's going to be be the, uh, be all end all. But I think the idea would be, and the question would be, you know. Is, is access easy enough anyways? I mean, it's not hard to get to Potawatomi. It's not hard to get to, you know, American Family Field, you know, by car. Or if this became a huge hit, you could even see, like, buses that are running out there and stuff. Would it be a success? 855-616-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, if it, it improves the parking and the traffic, I'm all for trying it. But I am very skeptical that this will work for two reasons. One is that this is a different area than downtown. It's not as centrally located. Yep. And I have trouble believing that people not going to the game are will come down to that area. And then they do have a problem with the length of the baseball game. I have a hard time believing that if there's a baseball game that runs really long, that people will stick around, especially if they have to work the next day. Do you think that this is different than, than Titletown? Now, Titletown draws people on non-game days, you know, uh, but but people, but I, I will acknowledge this, Lambeau Field and the Packers are different than American Family Field and the Brewers. So is that may, that might not be an apples and oranges comparison. Well, I do think Titletown is a growing place, and I was actually just recently there for a concert a, a couple of weeks ago and um, at this new event place that looked like it was fairly new called the epic event center and they had had been they had done things really well there and that 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 events if they had get places up like that with concerts then then that might give them a chance yeah thanks for call jeff joe in south milwaukee joe you're on wtmj good afternoon how are you how thanks for taking my call yes sir uh, what do you my think comment would be tearing down that that freeway spur would be an absolute disaster, I think, for getting traffic in and out of there after and before games. Where, yeah, I mean, you ha- what are yeah. they going to do with the traffic? Yeah, you'd have to figure out how you're going to route it because if you take that away, you're right. You've really got you've only got the entrance on the the north side of of the stadium, and you'd be dumping off on city streets. So you think that that stadium freeway and interchange, even though it only goes like a mile and a half or something like that, and then dumps out on National Avenue there, you think it still provides a valid purpose, and, and we need it there. Absolutely, I use it quite often, actually, and it's always busy. So, yeah, I think yeah. I think if they just reconfigured the parking areas and used that uh, preferred parking area over there on the east side of the stadium, and then put some parking north of the stadium, I think it would work out fine. And I think people would go honestly. 
Yeah. No, thanks for call, Joe. I appreciate it. No, I know I'm I'm with you. I, look, here, I guess I, I don't want to be this guy that's like the, the, that says Dr. No to all, all these different ideas that are out there. I I'm skeptical that something like this would work simply because, again, American Family Field isn't isn't the the attraction that Lambeau is. And that's that's not to, to downgrade, you know, the park, but people come to the ball games. Secondly, we have that tailgate tradition that's kind of built in. And, you know, the amenities in, inside American Family Field are great. So I, I think, you know, a lot of times you you come there, do you do you want to go to a bar before you go into the game? And and right now you've got all those places on Blue Mound Road that would do it. I mean, I think if this were something the brewers were considering, for example, I, I'd take baby steps. For example, the the part of the parking lot on the other side of the freeway where they've got what what's it, the sausage house or things like that, you know, maybe you could explore expanding that and, and putting in I don't know, putting in a, a, a bar or something, expanding that and putting it into it, making it a bar, kind of like they have at Lambeau Field as part of the parking lot where they have that big area that, that's set up and you always have a lot of people there before the Packers games. I, I guess I would suggest baby steps in trying to do this and, and to see if there's really an interest in people coming out when it's not a game day because it, it is – it is different, and let's also let's also be honest. I mean, the Deer District, which is very very successful, but the Deer District is successful when it's built around the Bucks games, and it's particularly successful when it's built around the Bucks games in, in the spring and the early summer when they're making a late run at the playoffs. Because the the truth of the matter is, even nowadays with the weather and stuff, that the Bucks are fighting that. Now, I think the Deer District is a success. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not sure that the stadium located where the stadium is and a number of people are texting and a number of people have referred to this in our call-in thing you know that was the debate if, if you weren't around when the Miller Park slash American Family Field debate was going on one of the big issues was where is it going to be and there's a lot of people including myself who was arguing for a downtown stadium but that's not what the Brewers wanted at the time and so it, it ended up being placed on the location where County Stadium was so the idea of trying to create a, a separate beer district or whatever you want to call it out in that part of the, the city to me, I think in many respects that ship sailed, and I think you know that decision was kind of my was sort of preordained when you decided to put American Family Field where you decided to put it. I don't mean to be the doctor no on this. I'm just pretty skeptical as to whether it was to work. And as far as tearing down that freeway spur. I I understand that there's a lot of like anti-freeway people who always think that that's a good idea, and I also understand that that's sort of like an awkward little you know two-mile stretch. But at the same time, unless you're going to be able to figure out how to really move traffic in and out, what what are you going to do? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The next Milwaukee mayoral debate happens here, hosted by our partners at TMJ4 News. Tune in Sunday at 6 p.m. as Cavalier Johnson and Bob Donovan discuss the issues that matter to you. Moderated by Charles Benson and Shannon Sims, you'll hear the entire debate live right here. The Milwaukee mayoral debate Sunday at 6 o'clock on News Radio WTMJ. Let me, uh, we actually really touched a nerve with this. A lot of people responding to our text. Let me share some with you. And of course, the, the, the question is, would a, and I'm, they're, they're calling it 
in a beer district because that's what they called it in the Milwaukee Magazine article. But would something similar to the Deer District, something similar to Wrigleyville, would something like that work if you put it out by the stadium? And, of course, it is – I mean, it suffers from the fact that it, right now the stadium is a destination. It's not, you know, in the heart of an urban area. Jeff, older folks tailgate, but younger fans prefer to hang out near the action in bars, typically not caring much about game action. I think a beer district would serve the younger crowd. Jeff, American Family Field is almost 25 years old. It's almost time to start thinking about a new stadium, and that should be built downtown. Well, (laughs) I still have the psychic scars from the battle over getting Miller Park built in the first place, and my, my sense is... You will have continued improvements to Miller Park, a now American Family Field, but I I don't think there's going to be anybody talking about a new stadium anytime in the next 10 or 15 years, so that's it. Jeff, I want to bring my $8.99 six-pack instead of paying the Brewers $10 for a beer. Um, No, I'm I'm not there. Jeff, I think the Blue Mound Road businesses get a lot of attention now. It would be great to somehow incorporate them into that also, Jeff, the Braves in Atlanta have the Battery District. That's correct. It's a standalone 10 miles from downtown that is very, very vibrant. Um, Jeff, when TGIF, that's the restaurant that is is now become the restaurant to be named later, which, as I say, I think is the worst name that I have ever heard for a restaurant. When TGIF was open year-round, it didn't work. And, and that's true, but, but TGIF that was a you know i mean it was just it was just the restaurant and so you know w- would you would you just drive out to american family field just to go to that one particular restaurant i think the idea with this would be is you would create a, a an a district where you had multiple bars and, and multiple restaurants and multiple entertainment venues that might help attract people as opposed to just like the one restaurant. Jeff, I think it would be a really fun experience for people to hang out and have different venue restaurants and bars to walk up outside of American Family Field, sort of like the Packers have in that area around Lambeau Field. I think it would work. Um, I, I think that you, as long as you have the right um, people that are there. Jeff, I think the stadium was located, if the stadium was located downtown, it would have worked. It works well for Wrigley and Lambeau because there isn't a lot of parking and people have to walk or to shuttle to the stadium. Well, that's that's true. I mean, you would be competing against the, the tailgaters, and that's that's different. Well, Jeff, one of my favorite things about Brewers games is tailgating. I personally would pick tailgating over a beer district any day. I feel it's different than basketball and football because of the time of year. So much nicer to be hanging outside. I would not be drawn to a beer district at any time, other time, with the exception maybe of a playoff game that I couldn't get tickets to. Right? That's, and I guess that's what the $64,000 or $640 million question or whatever this would be is the, the Brewers have no trouble. On, on game days, particularly as the season goes on and the weather gets nicer, they, they have no trouble getting people to American Family Field for the games. The question would be, would, would on game days there be a significantly larger number of people who show up than otherwise would show up? And I'm not sure the answer to that. And then the other question would be, on non-game days, would, would people be attracted to this district if there's nothing going on? And that's... And again, I don't mean to be the, the doctor no on this, but that's the real question that that I have. And I, I guess I'm, I'm very, very skeptical, just like in the Deer District. 
yes, you get people, and I understand it's a different time of year and things like that, but when there's not a when there's not a Bucks game, when there's not something going on at Pfizer, when there's not a concert, the the number of people that go down there just on a quiet Tuesday night, it, it's 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 not huge. It, it's it's an event when there's something going on. Would it work before Brewers games? I, I don't know. Would it work when you have a big concert? Don't know. But on regular days, I'm, I'm just kind of skeptical. Jeff, I think it's a great idea. Brewer fans would support it. All the venues don't have to be expensive, and you could have something for the kids like batting cages and playgrounds. The possibilities are many. Yeah, the possibilities are, in fact, many. I guess that's the opportunity. Jeff, we have a ticket package and usually shuttle from a local bar and sit in the club level. Every Everything we do tries to avoid people. So I don't have a problem if they built it, but I'm not looking for a deer district feeling around American family field. Well, okay. And then a number of people are saying, well, th- this is why they should have built the stadium downtown. Well, that, that, that ship has sailed, and the reality is that Miller Park, Miller Park, now American Family Field, is going to be that for the foreseeable future. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The um, mask mandates, which were, of course, all the rage in certainly in 2020 and certainly in 2021, they're, they're now falling right, right and left. And you know, one of the last vestiges, and we've talked about this before, of the mask mandates is that the Biden administration continues to insist that if you fly on an airplane or ride on a bus or take a train or are in an airport, you, you have to wear a, a mask. That is due to sunset on April 18th. But of course, it was due to sunset in mid-March and the Biden administration continued it. The airlines are, are pushing hard to drop this. And as we've discussed, at least in my opinion, it, it doesn't make sense to continue the mandate. If you decide you want to wear a mask on a plane, go, go with God. I mean, if you decide you want to wear a mask everywhere you go, I, I think that that's absolutely fine. But I think now that the COVID is moving into the becoming more endemic, in other words, being something that we, we just have to figure out how to, to live with, and the fact that everybody who pretty much wants to get a vaccination has gotten a vaccination with the exception of very, very small children, so that the mask mandates are falling right and left. And the latest example of that is, is MPS. MPS has been one of the, the holdouts when it comes to mask requirements. And MPS is announcing that they will end their mask mandate on April 18th, which is um, about two weeks after the end of, of spring break. And the other thing the MPS school board did is they gave the authority to the MPS superintendent to be the one who, who gets to make the calls on when you end the mandate and if you need to put mask mandates back into effect. So they're, they're giving... They're giving the responsibility and the power to the superintendent saying, okay, you you get to decide. And right now the mask mandates are scheduled to end on April 18th. I think given... Given the impact I think that masks have had on, on learning and given where we are in the pandemic, this, this clearly makes sense. MPS continues to be was an outlier with regard to the mask mandates. And now if kids want to wear masks in school, I, I say that's fine. They're going to continue to provide them for kids who want them. But in general, I think it's time to move on from the mandates. And MPS is doing the right thing. All right. When we come back, speaking of mandates in connection with COVID. I've got a follow-up on something we talked about yesterday. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know I, 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 proud my, I pride myself on on railing against the extremes and the excesses of, of the cancel culture and the, this push that, that everybody has to be woke. I, I started off the program by talking about this rule that's going into effect for the Oscars, which guarantees that to the extent there is any relevance to the Oscars now, by 2025 there's not going to be, because in order to qualify for an Oscar starting in 2024 for the awards in 2025, you're going to, the producers are going to have to submit to some committee a list of all the different categories of people, cast and crew, who worked on the movie, sexual orientation, do does anybody have a disability, what is the race, what is the gender, and unless you meet certain numerical criteria, you will not be considered for an Oscar. You have the greatest movie in the world, but, you know, if, if you don't meet these certain quotas of X number of people working on the film that fit into this category or that category, you're, you're not going to be considered at all, which... I mean, to me, this is taking wokeness to just an extreme. Okay, so even having said that, though, even rebelling against the cancel culture and saying, gosh, we're we're carrying wokeness too far, this is a story that my immediate reaction was, who thought that this was going to be a good idea? I want to share it with you, get your reaction. There is a small school in New York, Windsor, New York, population 833. Um, they describe it as a, a nice rustic town on the Susquehanna River. It's in the it's close to the Pennsylvania border. Um, the closest city is Binghamton, which is 16 miles away. It's a small community. It is overwhelmingly white as far as the racial makeup. So got this small high school. What the high school kids do and they have done for a while, is around high school basketball games, they will organize, they will organize events um, f- where, where they all dress up. Okay? For example, um, one game they had an, an, a Hawaiian night, and the students wore Hawaiian shirts, you know, like, like Aloha shirts and stuff. And, and these, they're student-organized, but because they're student activities, it's a basketball game and stuff, they run them through the administration. So we're going to do a Hawaiian night, and everybody shows up wearing Hawaiian shirts. Okay, got that. Another one is, is hillbilly night, where, um, you know, people showed up dressed dressed as hillbillies. Not exactly sure what that was, but they did hillbilly night, okay? So they showed up there, and nobody had any problems with any of that. Well, what has caused an issue is what about a month and a half ago, they came up with the idea of having gangsta, G-A-N-G-S-T-A, night, in which participating students, all of whom were white, pretended to be members of the Crips and Bloods street gangs. These are those notorious rival street gangs with origins in Los Angeles. So some of the kids showed up with fake teardrop tattoos. Others wore shower caps, white tank tops, and low-rise jeans that exposed their underwear. One proclaimed that he was from the Bronx. Another wore a thick chain around his neck. They flashed hand signals and snapped photos 
of each other that they then shared on Snapchat. Um, the coach of the girls' basketball team, who is the only black staff member at the nearly all-white school, said he was horrified when he saw the images. And at least half of his team, all of his players are white, had participated in the event. All right. Now, the school officials, for their part, say, well, th- this was kind of hastily organized, and we, we really it didn't go through our typical approval process as to evaluating a, a theme for this. So this one kind of, we, they say we kind of dropped the ball on it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, th- this is from my perspective. As again, somebody who rails against the cancel culture and the extreme nature of, of, of wokeness as it's played out there. Having said that, who in their right mind thought that gangsta night would be a, a good idea? And that, okay, hillbilly night or farmer night or a Hawaiian night or whatever, I, I get all, all that. You know, you show up in Hawaiian shirts. But encouraging a bunch of kids to essentially dress up in the stereotypical sort of garb that you would see from street gangs in Los Angeles, which are primarily, if not exclusively, you know, black. Who in their right mind would have thought that this would be a good idea, whether it's the kids or the adults? Again, the school is saying, well, that this one kind of got short-circuited. We, we wouldn't have, if we had gone through our proper review, review process, it wouldn't have happened. All right. Is there any world nowadays where gangsta night would be appropriate? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer would be No. All right, let's discuss. 855-616-1620, back in a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, unless it was a school musical, the idea would lead to a bad outcome for both the students and their parents. Jeff, this was not appropriate on so many levels. Um, you know, I, I'm for school personnel, you know, dis- being disciplined on this one. Jeff, I agree. I, I it's wrong. But think about all the Hollywood movies where the bad guy, the criminal, is the hero of the movie. We take the bad guys, let him do something that appears to be good, and then they're the hero. We glorify the bad guy. Yeah, that, I, okay, I, I, and, and I understand all that. I don't necessarily disagree with the whole concept of anti-hero and stuff. But in this particular case, you are taking a almost exclusively white school, and you have the kids that are dressing like gangsters, you know, imitating predominantly black gang members out of, in this case, Los Angeles, the Crips and the Bloods. And and I guess I'm a little bit concerned that some people don't seem to see that there's all sorts of significant racial overtones with that. I mean, where where would we would we draw the line? Would we have an Asian night? And you you take a stereotype. If the stereotype of of Asians is that they're all nerdy and stuff like that, if that's the stereotype and and people dressed up like that, would, would people think that that's appropriate in any world, much less, you know, a high school thing if we had a okay we're going to have a, a Mexican night and, and everybody you know show all the kids you know showed up dressed in some of the, the stereotypical sort of garb it, it's don't I the the 
look, you can do a lot of things that avoid the, this whole, you know, racial stereotype of situation. You've, you've got the Hawaiian shirt night. Okay, that that's great. Not exactly sure what the hillbilly night would be, but there's this whole range of things you can do that aren't going to create a problem. Who in the right mind thinks that gangsta night would be a good idea? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text um lines. Jeff, I hope no one wore blackface. That will show up in the future. Well, I hope nobody did as well. Jeff, I think the gangster theme is a bad idea, but um, I also started thinking, what if it was a 20s gangster theme or a 70s mob gangster thing? Well, that that's, you know, during the break, I was actually trying to think that through. If this was, okay, this is the 50th anniversary of the, the premiere of the movie The Godfather. That, that's uh, it was actually uh, last week or two weeks ago it, it had its its world premiere 50 years ago and so i guess if it was gangster night or you know godfather night and you had the kids that showed up you know dressed as characters from the movie would that be different and i think my answer is yes that that probably would that would definitely be different because in that case it's the movie you don't have and you also don't have the racial element to this 855-616-1620 david in green bay david you're on wtmj hi thanks for taking my call here you know i don't see yeah for the for the all-white school probably very inappropriate but then again um if you take a drive east north avenue or go in some black neighborhoods i've been around la i've been around new york that's what young black men seem to want to emulate with the pants down the hoodie approaching people with a hoodie you can't hardly see their face and well it's no different than people in the south they might make fun of the uh, daisy may i mean they might make fun of uh say truck drivers or it's why is this any different? Because that's well, David, what a lot of them seem to want to emulate. They're young. Well, well David, again, thanks for calling. Well, it, I think, in my opinion, you should have stopped after. Well, I, I understand why this is wrong, but because <laughs> I don't think that. Well, I mean, it, first of all, you're, you're playing into racial stereotypes here, and I think there's a lot of young black men and women who would suggest that they don't emulate, that they, they don't want to be members of the, the Crips or the Bloods, for, first of all. So I'm not sure I agree with that, that. I don't agree with that premise to begin with. But then on top of it, these aren't young black men and women. This is a predominantly white school that that's decided to do something like this. And I guess I, I, I just raise this question because apparently none of the kids seem to think that there was an issue with this. And I go, a lot of times, I appreciate that I think we, we perhaps we are too sensitive. Some people are saying, well, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. Your, your rule of life, number one, is life is tough, get a helmet. Well, okay, yes, life is tough, get a helmet. But at the same time, you know, th- this idea that here we're just going to, all right, we're, we're going to be, even in today's woke culture, that we're just going to be so totally tone deaf when it comes to racial issues and things of the like and and not recognize that, you know, you've got these stereotypes. And and look, I I don't know if if this was a predominantly black school, for example, I I doubt that they would have a, a night where people, you know, dressed up like street gang members. And even then, I think it would probably be inappropriate. We're going to have Crips and Bloods night. Well, who's, who's going to do that? But that's not even the case here. This is a case where you have primarily, almost exclusively, if not exclusively, white students that are deciding to 
imitate a stereotype that they perceive to be indicative of the the overall black population that I don't necessarily think is true in that regard. But to me, this is kind of like blackface and things of the like. And I just... I think the school officials are correct in saying, well, we wouldn't have signed off on this. And I think they need to have some more procedures. And I guess I go back to the basic premise of who thought Gangsta Night was going to be a good idea in the first place. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. The escalating situation in Ukraine is having a devastating impact on children and their families. That's why today Milwaukee is coming together to raise money for UNICEF's emergency work. Join WTMJ and Good Karma Brands as we work to help families who've been forced to flee their home and find safety across Ukraine's borders. For more information, head to WTMJ.com or... Text the word Ukraine to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. MKE for Ukraine on News Radio WTMJ. Yeah, check that out. Uh, new polls out, and they continue to show that Joe Biden, well, Joe Biden is is struggling for a variety of reasons. Now I understand that there's some people out there who just don't believe polls. And, and my point is you, you can't you can't say, well, I, I believe the polls when it's got a result that I like or I don't believe the polls when it's got a result that I don't like. I actually, even though polling has taken a hit over the last you know several elections, I, I think in general polling tends to get it right, with the exception of Donald Trump, where I, I think a lot of people just lie to pollsters um, or if not lie, just don't participate. You get some skewed things because Donald Trump is Donald Trump. But in general, I, I think especially when you see a pretty consistent result in polls, it, it tells you that there's something going on. So I don't think you can just cherry pick. And if you're a conservative, say, I don't believe polls. And then but but here's this poll that shows that Joe Biden is in trouble. One of the consensuses that is starting to come together in the polls is that the, the public is souring on Joe Biden, and I'm not sure what he can do to change that around. Um, the latest poll that's out is the Fox News poll, but this, even though it's Fox News, it, it matches it matches the results of other surveys. The president getting really bad marks with regard to how he handles a, a number of situations. The president's being told, for example, that his handling of inflation bad 31 percent approve 66 percent disapprove overall his um let's see overall his job approval rating upside down by nine points 45 percent approve 54 percent disapprove last month it was essentially the same 43 percent to 56 percent so it's not improving despite the fact that you have and his state of the union, and you have everything that's going on. So Biden is clearly struggling in regard for that condition of the economy. <coughs> Excuse me. You have 26% saying it's excellent or good, 74% saying it's only fair. Has the Biden administration made the economy better or worse? 22% say it's now better, 53% say it's worse. Again, um, personal financial situations. say they are falling behind. That's up from 27% in June. So you look at all these um, numbers, and it's just, it's not good. (coughs) Excuse me. You have got the uh, Biden administration 
something in my throat. The end of uh, the end of the week catches up to me. Biden administration. Let's see. Responsible for current gas prices. 68 percent say yes. 31 percent say no. Um, again, these are these are troubling numbers, and I'm not sure it's fair to hold Joe Biden responsible for a lot of this stuff. But the truth is, when he came into office, he got a bump when it came to dealing with um, COVID. And, and whether that was a fair bump or not, I, I don't know, because I think a lot of stuff that happened were, were things that were set in motion during the Trump administration. But but the COVID numbers got better. Then whether it was Biden's fault or, or not, the COVID numbers got worse. And that area that I think was was bumping him up with approval, that went down substantially. So, you know, he, he's struggling with that. Then you add in inflation and all those things. I thought it was possible that he would get a, a bump from the, the State of the Union. But that that really, you know, that hasn't happened. Now, in politics, I mean, we're months away from the midterm elections, and we're two years and several months away from the 2024 presidential election. So that that's a world of time. And, and for everybody who thinks that the Biden administration is just dead in the water, I always remind them, you know, the first two years of, of the Reagan presidency were, were not, at least as far as the poll numbers, they weren't great. He was dealing with issues like inflation and things like that as well. And the midterms weren't great for President Reagan in 1982. Well, he went on in 84 to win, I, I think, every state but Minnesota. He was running against Walter Mondale. So for people who say, you know, Joe Biden is dead in the water, I, I, I don't think it's fair to say that. On the other hand, you, you can't help but look at these numbers and say Biden is in a lot of trouble. Okay, when we come back, I want to double back on something we talked about on the program yesterday. New York changing its rules for some people, but not others. I will explain. We will discuss. Stick around. So very glad to have you with us. All right, I told you about this story yesterday, but there, there's a new angle to this that I'm curious to get your reaction to. New York City imposed a rule last year that said New York City employees had to be vaccinated, or if they were not vaccinated, they would they would lose their job. The rule also said that in order to go into your workplace in New York City, you had to be vaccinated or you would be prohibited from going to your workplace. And this resulted in a lot of people in the private sector getting fired because for whatever reason, they made the decision that they weren't going to get vaccinated. They also as part of that rule, said that if you are, <clears throat> because, uh, for example, the professional athletes, their their workplace is the arenas. They said that in order for you to go into an arena and, and play the games, you have to be vaccinated. And this cause brought a lot of attention to star guard Kyrie Irving, who plays for the, the Brooklyn Nets, and he's refused to get vaccinated. So what's happened is over the course <clears throat> of the season, Kyrie Irving hasn't been able to play in Nets home games, all right? Plus, what's happening is that the baseball season is getting ready to start, and you have members of the New York Yankees and New York Mets, including, I am told, some high-profile players who've made the decision not to get vaccinated. And if this rule was in effect, what that would mean is, is they wouldn't be able to play home games. Oops. So... Apparently, the owners of the Nets and the owners of the Yankees and the Mets have been pressuring the mayor to change the, the rule. Oh, okay, the rule 
was even, in my opinion, dumber because they had an exception to the rule that said that players from other teams outside of New York who weren't vaccinated, they could participate. So as I was explaining yesterday, if you had a member of the Milwaukee Bucks who wasn't vaccinated, they could go to New York and they could play the game. But Kyrie Irving, who was a member of the Nets, since you know he were, the Nets were based in New York, he couldn't play. So you'd have you know, some unvaccinated players that could play and some unvaccinated players who couldn't. It, it made no sense. The, uh, the usher or the beer vendor who works at the the stadium, who's unvaccinated, he wouldn't be able to work. But yet, again, you could have the professional athlete from the Bucks, in my example, who could play. The whole thing made absolutely no sense. So in any event, yesterday, the, the mayor of New York gave in in some respects to i think the the polit- this wasn't science this was political science and i believe gave in to the pressure that he was getting from some of these well-heeled sports teams owners and maybe indirectly the fans that are like hey we want to see the nets do well in the playoffs and if kyrie irving can't play the chances of that are diminished so what he did is he he changed the rule He didn't drop the vaccination rule for everybody else, but he did say for athletes that this doesn't apply. But again, the the usher or the beer vendor who's unvaccinated, they still can't get into work. But the basketball player can. So you, you have this sort of dual system between the little people who have decided not to get vaccinated, who are just out of luck, and the the multi-million dollar stars who are now being accommodated. Well, it's gotten even more interesting because apparently in New York City, they fired about 1,400 people. 1,400 city employees were fired for failing to get vaccinated. So uh, this and this this wasn't you know private sector employees. These were people who you know worked for the police department or the fire department or whatever who for whatever reason made the decision not to get vaccinated. Now you might think that's a dumb decision, but they made that decision. So they asked the mayor, okay, now that you're dropping the vaccination mandate for athletes, for Kyrie Irving and for players on the Yankees, et cetera, et cetera. Now that you're dropping the max vaccine mandates for them and letting them go back and enjoy their livelihood, are you prepared to rehire all these employees who you fired for not getting the vaccine, got not getting the vaccinations? So, I mean, if we're going to let Kyrie Irving go back and, and have his job, why shouldn't we, at least is the argument that the firefighters and the cops are making, why shouldn't we, okay, now, if it's okay for Kyrie Irving not to be vaccinated, why don't we bring back all the city employees who were fired a while ago? And the mayor's response is, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not reviewing if we're going to bring them back. They're out of luck at this time. We have no intention of rehiring unvaccinated city employees who were let go. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, to me, this is just wrong on, on so many different levels. And it, it demonstrates what happens when you don't follow the science necessarily, except political science. Here, it it seems to me you you can't have it both ways. If your position is going to be, we we have this vaccine mandate, we are going to keep the vaccine mandate in place, 
We're going to fire people because they didn't follow the vaccine mandate. How in the world can you carve out exceptions to that for a certain class of individuals? In this case, you know, professional athletes and uh, musicians. That would be the entertainers. How can you have this entertainment exception, whereas the guy who's, I don't know, worked as a firefighter for the last 25 years, he's been fired and he's not going to be brought back. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, that's why I thought these vaccine mandates were always kind of a slippery slope to go down. But if, if you're going to go down this route and you're going to say people need to be vaccinated and we're not going to have a time limit on this, you know, we're not going to say that, okay, after the, the pandemic, the surge has stopped, we're going to consider, you know, bringing you back. You're just gone. Well, okay, how can you now turn around and let, in this case, these professional athletes play? Don't you have to bring back the city workers who you fired if you're going to allow the Kyrie Irvings of the world to now participate? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, this was only lifted because of the Yankees and the Mets. The regular person who got fired, well, the mayor could care less about. They simply don't have the political and economic pull. No other reason. Well, there's something to that. Yankees manager Aaron Boone said last week that at least a few guys on his team weren't vaccinated. And star outfielder Aaron Judge on the Yankees sidestepped questions about his own vaccination status. In other words, he kind of went Aaron Rodgers. And so that that probably tells you, you can imply that maybe here's the superstar who's not vaccinated and if that's the case and the rules applied to athletes like they applied to everybody else he's going to miss 81 he's going to miss at least half the season actually probably more than that because they play games against the Mets as well he's going to miss like 90 games out of 162 and that would hurt the Yankees chances at making the playoffs this is I guess I just find this to be appalling and it's it's one of the things that I've been cautioning about with this whole vaccine mandate especially if you try to apply it outside the healthcare area healthcare area is to me it's a whole different story because well it's because there you're dealing with people who are dealing with sick people things like that but this idea that we're going to pick and choose winners and losers and if you're a firefighter or you're a police officer, or if you're a school teacher, or you're somebody that you know picks up garbage, and you, for whatever reason, have made the decision that you're not going to get vaccinated, you're fired, and you're not going to be rehired. But oh, the professional ba- basketball player or the stage performer, well, come on back. It, it's no problem. And and you know, a number of people are making this point. You know, Jeff, I'm no lawyer, but the little bit I know about class actions lawsuits, it sure sounds like one in making on behalf of the 1400 average citizens fired by New York. This is unbelievable. It just goes to show the power of the rich and famous once again. Um, Yeah. Jeff, I don't know how much safety or customer service in the city of New York has been suffered because of these open spots in their government, but I'm certainly not going to spend my hard-earned money going there to find out. This, I think, is completely unfair and reeks of discrimination, and I hope it results in many millions of dollars in lawsuits against the city. Yet to me, this does scream about equal protection that we're going to take, okay, the New York Yankees are going to be treated differently than, again, the garbage men. And, and interestingly enough, there, there's a lot of, 
New York state representatives or, or city representatives who are recognizing just how awful that this is. Joe Borelli, I'm looking at a story in the Wall Street Journal. Joe Borelli, a New York City councilman who represents parts of Staten Island, um, said the city's move was appalling. We're firing our own employees, but we're allowing exemptions for the fancy ones, he said. The New York City Council speaker pushes back as well. She says, this exemption sends the wrong message that higher paid workers and celebrities are being valued as more important than our devoted civil servants, which I reject. This is a step away from following sensible public health driven policies that prioritize equity. Well, there, there's no question that is exactly, you know, what what this does. So here here's what should happen in a sensible and sane world. All right. They, they put in the vaccine mandate. People didn't comply with it. They were they were let go. All right, now that the vaccine mandates are being loosened up and now that we're creating exceptions for the basketball players and the stage performers and the baseball players and things like that, here's what should happen. They should say to all the employees who were fired, all right, here's the deal. You are welcome to come back. Now, we, we haven't necessarily held your job, but, you know, you're, you're welcome to apply to come back. And we're now going to apply the same standard to you, garbage man, trash collector, fire officer, you know, fireman, you know, policeman, policewoman, whatever. We're now going to apply the same standard to you that we apply to Kyrie Irving, that we apply to Aaron Judge, and that we apply to all the other athletes and stage performers that are there. And that is you can resume your career without having to be vaccinated because that's that's what you're saying. Once you drop these requirements, to me, all bets are, are now off. Now, obviously, if the job has been filled and it's not available, well, then it's kind of like too bad, so sad. I, I get it. That was the risk you took. But given the fact that we are now saying we're going to allow you to do this stuff without being vaccinated, the point is, okay, we're going to welcome you back. And if you know, you're know you qualified for your job, we're going to hire you. And I agree with a number of the texters who are saying if New York does not do this, the, the class action lawsuit is going to be mammoth. And you know what? And I'm not somebody who's just encouraging people to sue for the sake of suing, but this is one of those situations you hope they sue the heck out of the city and don't be surprised if they win back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner wtmj so very glad to have you with us on a friday afternoon there's there's an interesting thing that is developing in the world and it's i don't know how this is going to ultimately play out but i think it's a fair question whenever you have a crisis there are, are some people who stand up and, and, and do the right thing, even though that might put themselves in jeopardy or it might put their businesses in jeopardy, but, but it's the right thing to do. And there are other individuals or companies who don't do the, the right thing. And maybe they hope that, okay, after the crisis abates you know people are going to forget that i was running the wrong way i was i was the guy that i was that firefighter that was running away from the fire instead of running towards the fire you know that sort of stuff and and you're seeing that when it comes to businesses and and russia one of the things that i think the west is doing and they are correct in doing this in an effort to try to pressure the evil empire and pressure the monster that is Vladimir Putin into backing off is imposing 
is imposing sanctions. Now, unfortunately, those sanctions don't just affect Vladimir Putin. Matter of fact, they probably don't affect Putin much at all because he's got his money stashed all over the world and things. But if you bring pressure on the Russian people, the thinking is, okay, maybe that can then indirectly bring pressure on the leaders to stop you know, what, what's going on in, in Ukraine. So you're seeing a number of, of companies which have just pulled out of, of Russia and they're not doing business. And that's, I mean, it's causing problems. The Russian stock market has been shut down. People who had credit cards, for example, with a number of uh, Western companies, and by Western, I don't just mean United States, th- those credit cards are essentially frozen, so they're not able to charge things. You've got the airlines, which have by and large suspended flights to Russia both ways. So if somebody in Russia had a trip planned to <coughs> Italy or whatever, it's not going to happen. So you've got all that stuff that, that's going on. And the idea, again, is we're going to, to pressure Russia to do the right thing. Now, some people don't think sanctions work, but sanctions, short of putting boots on the ground and starting to shoot down Russian planes, sanctions is what the West, what the free world has to try to pressure Russia to do the right thing. Well, what about the companies that aren't doing the right thing? For example, the the world's biggest makers of household staples have vowed to stop selling all but the bare essentials in Russia. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're going to stop. Um, but then what constitutes like the bare essentials? For example, Lay's potato chips, Airwick home fragrances, Gillette razors, all still on sale. Parent companies like PepsiCo, Procter & Gamble, Unilever all said that they were to say, will suspend sales of all but essential foods and other products in Russia. But they're, they're not doing that. You know, they're still selling potato chips. Now, I like potato chips as well as the next guy, but I think you would argue that potato chips aren't exactly an essential product. We're not saying, hey, don't produce medicine or something that's going to cost somebody their life. But why why do you stop selling potato chips? Well, because that's something that maybe one of the average Russian uh, would would miss. Hey, this is what's going on. This is the problem. Um, you're seeing this in a number of other businesses as well. Starbucks, IKEA, and to an extent McDonald's, they're they're starting to pull out. So they're they're doing the right thing. Um, one of our local companies, SC Johnson and Son, well, they are continuing to manufacture toilet bowl cleaner glass cleaner and air freshener in in russia now it's interesting because yes they're they're still doing it the company defends its position they say well look here here's the deal yes we are still continuing to do this but we're doing it because we have 200 russian employees and we don't want to adversely affect them so yeah we're continuing to make the these products despite the fact that we're supposed to be putting sanctions on i seriously wonder whether People are going to remember this when this is all over, that there were some companies, like I say, that stepped up and some that didn't. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I, I was listening during the news, as I always do, and I heard that ad for the Eagles concert. Um, the Eagles are, of course, playing at Pfizer Forum this coming Wednesday. It's Wednesday, March 30th at 8 p.m. I, I guess I, I was a little bit surprised to hear that they were still advertising tickets. I just went to the Ticketmaster website, and um, there are I, – I, I don't want to say that there's a lot of tickets left, but there are there are tickets in – Almost every, if not, according, I'm on the Ticketmaster website right now. I'm not saying there's necessarily a lot of them, but there are, there are, there are tickets in every, every section at Fiserv. There are some tickets that are available. The the nosebleed seat tickets, um, kind of like 95 bucks, and then in the 100 section, the uh, prices look like they're mostly 125 dollars. And then there's floor seats that are available as well, and they're a little bit pricier. But there's yeah, just according to their website, at least right now, if you wanted to see the Eagles, you could you could go to their website and you know you could get a ticket in. I think every one of the sections at at Fiserv. Uh, I guess that I think it's interesting because we talked about it when they announced that the Eagles were coming and the rollout of this, and I, I think that. Um, the Eagles are a great band. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, I've seen them on multiple occasions, and they they do kind of charge top dollar, but they're able to get top dollar. But nevertheless, I do think it's interesting that a few days before the concert, there are still what I would describe as good seats that are available. Admittedly, not a lot. There's gonna the place is gonna be packed. But um, if you if you want to see the Eagles and you thought, oh, the show is gonna be sold out. Well, it's not. You're, you're going to be able. If you go now, you're going to be able to get some seats. And I don't know what that says for some of the people that purchased tickets in the secondary market uh, a few weeks ago, figuring that it would be sold out and there'd be no place and they wouldn't be able to do it. So you'd have to pay the extra fees in the secondary market. Because, like I say, go to Ticketmaster and you'll find what appear to be decent seats in every one of the sections. Don't know what that means. I, I've, I've said this before. I having seen, having been of of that age. Where I've seen a lot of the big bands from the over the years, the '60s and the '70s and the '80s, I find myself, as I grow older, less less interested in going to see, I don't know, some 75-year-old performer. No offense to 75-year-old performers who I've seen on multiple occasions and is charging, you know, really, really big money for things. I find myself less. I don't know, less interested in going to see that show than I am maybe in trying to find maybe that that new show that I I haven't seen and going in for a fraction of of the price. But but that's just me. But in any event, if you want to uh if you want to see the Eagles, they're 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 still available. Jeff, I wanted to go, but the tickets are too expensive. Well, they are expensive, but like I say, if you don't mind sitting in the second deck, they're they're 95 bucks. That's at least what the website's saying and there's I again, I don't want to overstate this. It's not like it's half empty. It's it's not. It's it's it is sold extremely well, but it's not sold out, um, so you got a chance to do it if you've got nothing to do on Wednesday night and you got a little bit of money there. All right, I want to talk politics for the first half hour before we switch over to Pop Culture Corner, which, by the way, is going to be a fun one for this afternoon. The um, I don't know. I don't know. Certainly, in the last decade, maybe maybe in my lifetime, I'm not sure there has been as divisive a, a political figure as Donald Trump. People love Donald Trump or they hate 
Donald Trump. And as I've said before, that's been one of the frustrations I've had doing a, a, a talk radio show over the last five or six years, because when it comes to Donald Trump, people have no sense of nuance. I mean, there, there are people who view him as the Antichrist, and if he were to walk in and give you a $100 bill, people would complain that oh, it's a $100 bill. What am I going to do with that? Why don't you give me 10 tens? On the other hand, there are some people who I, I just think that look at Donald Trump and, and don't recognize that the, the, he is an extremely flawed guy on a number of different levels who has hurt himself, hurt the Republican Party, hurt his brand, and hurt this country by main, doing some of the things he's done. For example, sitting on the sidelines while all this stuff was going on on January 6th and this obsession with the, his fact that he believes that the election was stolen despite the fact that there's no concrete evidence that demonstrates it. But anyhow, Donald Trump wants to be a kingmaker. I don't know if he wants to run again in 2024, but what he's doing right now is he's going around and he's endorsing candidates in various Republican primaries who are running in, in 2022. And so far, it's not necessarily working out well. For example, in Alabama, there, there's three candidates running for the Republican nomination for a Senate seat. The guy that he endorsed... Mo Brooks has been running third throughout the, the whole thing, and, and the Trump endorsements and stuff just just, just hasn't helped a, at all. So about a week or so ago, Trump decided that this candidate he endorsed has, has really, what was the phrase he used, gone woke because he refused to go whole hog on the election in 2020 was stolen. So he, he pulled his endorsement from from. Uh, Congressman Brooks. Well, the problem was that endorsement wasn't helping him if you believe the polls. In Georgia, Donald Trump is obsessed with the conservative Republican governor, Kemp, because Brian Kemp, remember, Georgia was the one where Trump wanted the governor to step in and to refuse to accept the results of the election showing that he lost in, in Georgia. And when, when Kemp wouldn't do it, well, you know, Trump just went completely Trumpian on on Brian Kemp. Well, Brian Kemp is running for re-election, and Trump has endorsed Kemp's opponent in the Republican primary. But again, if you believe polls, um, the Republican challenger to Brian Kemp is not getting traction. And this is starting to play out in various other races around the country. And even some of Trump's closest advisors are, are looking at this and saying, you know, you're you're picking all these different fights because you, you want to settle scores. You're upset that this person didn't back you 100% or wasn't pure enough or whatever. And you're, you're picking all these people to, to try to unseat them. But the people you're picking just aren't doing that well, and they're they're not the best candidates, and they're they're not gaining traction. And so the concern is, hey, you're you're weakening your brand, former President Trump, by making these endorsements because you know what happens when candidate after candidate after candidate that you have endorsed doesn't end up winning. All right, our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now in Wisconsin, you know we've got a governor's race going on. Um, I know. At least some of the Republican candidates have gone to meet with, with Donald Trump. No, no question about it. I don't think he's made a formal endorsement. I know he encouraged, for example, at one point in time, he thought it would be great if Sean Duffy, the former congressman, got in the race. Well, Sean Duffy's not getting in, in the race. But my question to you is, even in a Republican primary, or maybe from the perspective of trying to get elected, period, is an endorsement from Donald Trump a plus 
or is it a minus? 855-616-1620, we discuss in just a moment. Is that the type of thing that where we are now in 2022, should these candidates be going to Mar-a-Lago to, to kiss the ring, or is it best to just kind of ignore this? Is having Donald Trump doing commercials for you, is that going to be a plus or a minus, let's say in Wisconsin? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a fascinating moment politically because, as I was saying earlier, agree or disagree with with love Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump. There, there's no question that he's one of the most divisive figures, I think, in American political history, at least certainly in the last you know, 20, 30 years. And there's some people who just blindly follow him and if if Donald Trump says do this I, I'm going to do this if he says jump off the the bridge I'm jumping off the bridge there's other people for whom they just want him to, to go away so this is one of the interesting things is he's kind of set himself up forget kind of he set himself up as being a, a kingmaker in in 2022 and you have politicians from all over the country who are running in Republican primaries who are going around and they're going to Mar-a-Lago and they're asking for his endorse, endorsements in addition, Trump is not somebody who lets go of grudges. He, he holds grudges long, long time. And for all those people who he doesn't think supported him appropriately or wouldn't do what he wanted them to do, notably like the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, who Trump said, I want you to I want you to restart those polling machines or throw out those votes or refuse to certify this and the governor of georgia remember said i have no i have no basis of doing this mr president i'm sorry but the, the numbers are the numbers i believe the election was legitimate and unfortunately i believe you lost georgia i voted for you but i think you, you lost georgia and and that just infuriated trump that the governor of georgia wouldn't do what he wanted him to do because the governor of georgia didn't believe he had the legal authority to do it so trump has been actively you know recruiting and endorsing people to run against his various political enemies. He, he says that he's going to travel to Alaska to campaign against the senator up there, Lisa Murkowski, who was, of course, the, the one senator, Republican senator, to vote for his impeachment. So he's going to go there and he's going to try to, um, he's, he's going to campaign, you know, against her. Well, in the reality, what's been happening over the course of the last couple months is a lot of the candidates that he has endorsed have turned out to be inferior candidates or alternatively, they're not gaining any sort of traction. And it's now looking like that that Trump endorsement really isn't going to help, which raises the whole question of, I mean, do you want it in the first place? Because even if a Trump endorsement might help you in a primary, um, is, is it is it going to hurt you in the general election? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, if a candidate was endorsed by Donald Trump, I would not consider voting for him. It is well known the criteria that Trump sets for his endorsements supporting his lie about the 2020 election, and I think that that is a dangerous position. Jeff, this is Greg from Janesville. I hope the American people have seen what Trump really is, a con man taking care of his friends and family, just like Putin. They can't satisfy their egos. They will destroy everything in the way. Well, there's no question that I think 
President Trump, former President Trump, he has taken this kind of scorched earth theory, and I believe that he was a contributing factor why the Republicans lost both those runoff Senate seats in Georgia, because he goes down to Georgia, and instead of complaining for, campaigning for the, the Senate candidates, he gets obsessed over, oh, this election was stolen, et cetera, et cetera, and makes it all about him. Jeff, I wouldn't vote for anyone Trump endorsed. I lean Democratic, but I'm very unhappy with Biden's policies. As unhappy as I am with Biden, I am disgusted by Trump. I'm watching for new faces, conservative and open-minded, to moderate right po- to moderate right policies. If I hear Trump, that person is off of my consideration. Jeff, I think Trump is putting his yes men in place for 2024. If that happens, he can call somebody and say, find 1,100 votes, and they will, like the governor of Georgia would um last time jeff i wish the republican party would go back to the tommy thompson version of the party tired of some of the stuff that's going on jeff i think a trump endorsement is a double-edged sword for some people um it's like handing out free ice cream for other people it's like handing out poison apples in the end i think it's a wash um i don't know jeff i like trump but i think he needs to stop i guess i look at this and here, here here's the thing I, I understand that there are some people who are in, incredibly loyal to, to President Trump and who have bought into the election stuff and things like that. But candidly, I, I think there's a lot of baggage that comes with a, a Trump endorsement. My guess is that if Trump were making endorsements based on who he thinks is the best candidate, it would be one thing. But I don't get the sense that that's what's going on. This is this is about settling scores. I want to beat uh, the guy in Georgia because I, I don't like what he did to me. I, I don't like Governor Kemp, so I'm going to try to find somebody to, to beat him. I don't like, you know, the guys that were running for Senate in Alabama because they, you know, they weren't enough they weren't trump enough for me so i'm going to support this candidate but as as you start to support the inferior candidates what happens is you you weaken the brand of your endorsement so my bottom line and my recommendation to the various candidates who are running for say governor in uh wisconsin i i I don't make the pilgrimage to um mar-a-lago just you know campaign raise your issues. I understand that you've got to finesse things because you've got the Trump wing of the party and you've got the rest of the wing of the party. So I understand you have to try to finesse things like the guy did who won in Virginia. But this idea that I'm going to go down there and I'm going to beg Donald Trump for my endorsement, be careful what you wish for because it might not work out. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Now, as long as we're talking about endorsements, There's a Wisconsin politician who, unlike Donald Trump, who's going around trying to find candidates to endorse, there's a Wisconsin politician who wants nothing to do with endorsements. Governor Tony Evers announcing that when it comes to the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate, he's not going to be making endorsements. Now, the interesting thing about this is one of the four candidates running for the Democratic nomination to then challenge Ron Johnson next November is Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. And Tony Evers is saying, well, no, I'm I'm the leader of the Democratic Party, so I, I'm, I'm not going to make any endorsements, even though the, the guy who's been my lieutenant governor for the last four years is, is the guy that's running. The other candidates are, of course, the state treasurer, Sarah Galuski, um, Alex Lazary, who is the Milwaukee Bucks executive and the son of one of the owners, and uh, Tom Nelson from Outagamie County. Now, I guess I... I 
Just like I'm not sure that the Donald Trump endorsement, I'm not sure because it really does cut both ways. I'm not sure whether it helps candidates or hurts candidates. And maybe it helps candidates in the primary and hurts them in the general election. I I, I don't know. But I, I don't think Republican candidates should be tripping over themselves to rush to Florida to try to kiss the ring and get the endorsement. Similarly, I, I think Governor Tony Evers not endorsing any candidates in the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate. I, I think that's kind of a nothing burger story, too, because I, I, I understand where Evers is coming from. But the truth of the matter is, I, I'm not sure that there's any Democrat voter in the state of Wisconsin who is going to go and vote for one of those candidates because Tony Evers told them to. So, yeah, by not making an endorsement, he avoids upsetting any of the four candidates. And he also probably, you know, doesn't hurt or help any of them one way or the other. Endorsements, at the end of the day, who really cares? All right, when we come back, it's that time of the week, Pop Culture Corner, right around the corner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Okay, it's that time of the week, Pop Culture Corner, um, an abbreviated program today because we've got Milwaukee Brewers baseball coming up at the top of the hour, so let us get right to it. As I mentioned at the start of the show, I'm on vacation next week, and I'm, I'm going on a road trip. We're uh, my, my wife, Fran, and our dog, Sasha, and I, we're, we're, we're going on about a 1,400-mile road trip um, ne- next week. So uh, the, the dog travels okay. At least I hope she continues to travel okay. But so we're going we're gonna to be in a car and stuff. And I, I thought this would be a particularly timely um, pop culture corner because when I'm driving, when I'm on the road trip, I got the long drive, I, I've got the radio on, I am listening to, sometimes it's my music, sometimes it's some of the local channels that you get, sometimes I'm, I'm listening to my you know serious satellite radio that I have, but I, I'm listening to all sorts of types of music, and inevitably, there will be that song that comes on when you are driving, you're taking the road trip, road trip radio, where you just maybe you shout it out, maybe you just think it to yourself, but the thing is, turn it up, turn it up, want to hear it. Road Trip Radio, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, if you are with me next week, 1,400-mile drive, you're listening to tunes and things like that, what's what is that song that when it comes on the radio, your reaction, whether you're driving or not, whether you speak it or not, the reaction is, turn it up, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And as I always say during these segments, call quickly because our phone lines do jam, tend to jam up and I want to get to as many calls as we can. And also go with your first instinct. No, No obligation to overthink this. What's that song that when you hear it in the car, you just say, turn it up, 855-616-1620. Back with your calls and texts in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so as I was saying a minute ago, I'm on vacation next week, and we're taking a road trip. I'll be back a week from Monday, April 4th, and if all goes as planned, in that week we will have driven Oh, about 1,400 miles on our road trip, and I'm going to have the radio cranked up. All right, so my question is, if you're on that road trip, all right, the song comes on the radio, and it just makes you yell, turn it up, 855-616-1620. Jeff, Boston, more than a feeling. Jeff, take the long way home by Super Tramp. 
uh, Deep Purple Highway Star. Jeff, for me, it's Chicago 25 or 6 to 4. One of the trivia things, people don't know where that, that came from. 25 or 6 to 4, the, the title of that song by Chicago, it's the time on the clock. The guy that wrote it, it was the middle of the night. He's looking at the clock, and it's 335 or 336. Get it? 25 or 6 to 4. 855-616-1620. Marty and Racine. Marty, turn it up. It comes from the album Machine Head. Deep purple smoke on the water. Smoke on the water. Marty, thanks for the call. Nope. Smoke on the water would definitely be one of those tunes. No question about it. Um, somebody, um, let's see, Blues Traveler. Somebody says, um, Hook. To me, when I hear Blues Traveler, I, I actually, my turned up Blues Traveler song would be Runaround. Uh, let's see. Freeze Frame by the Jay Giles Band. Um, let's see. Whole Lot of Love. Jack, uh, Michael Jackson, Rock With You. Oh, Skinner, Sweet Home Alabama. Can't go wrong with that. Jeff, China Grove is my turn it all the way up song. Jeff, the Eagles, Life in the Fast Lane. Um, no question about it. Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, that would be one of those. Meatloaf, the late Meatloaf. Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Uh, let's see. Spirit in the Sky. Yeah, Spirit in the Sky would be one of those tunes as well. Jeff, uh, pretty much uh, Tom Petty, American Girl. You know, there's a lot of Tom Petty songs which would definitely qualify for that. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hiya, Jeff. I'm going to let Hi, you Tom. take the pick. I'm going to say Bob Seger, Ramblin' Man, or Night Moves. Uh, and, and I'll let you pick because you're driving. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Tom. Yeah, I might be driving, or sometimes my wife might be driving. Well, I, I think with the, the turn it up, I'm going with Ramblin' Gamblin' Man. Um, but it, it, having said that, uh, Tom Seeger, Bob Seeger's Night Moves is one of my all-time favorite songs. And that's that's definitely, that's a sing-along sort of song. If, if you know, if that would be in my top five, Night Moves come on and you, you sing along to it. But I would say Ramblin' Gamblin' Man would definitely be the kind of turn-it-up song. You know, Seeger's got a lot of those. Um, old-time rock and roll would be definitely one of them. Um, well, there's just a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, many of his greatest hits would would end up qualifying for that. 855-616-1620. Deb in Wauwatosa. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Deb. I would say um, let it be with the Beatles. You're you're a mellow gal. Let it that, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, no, I love to road trip, and when I'm having a bad day or my brother had passed away a few years back, I yeah. hop in the car and I drive, and it's so relaxing to me. And when I had heard the, the meaning behind that song, it yeah. meant even more, but I'll crank that thing up and my husband has to close his ears because it's going <laughs> so loud. You know, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful meaning behind the song. So. It is, Deb. Thank, thanks for the call. Absolutely, you know. Let, I mean, a lot of the Beatles tunes. I, I think I would, I would put in that category. Um, for me, well, I mean, "Get Back" would be, "Get Back" would definitely be one. Um, I'm trying to think. "Back in the USSR" would be just a, a turn it up sort of song. I mean, the Beatles have a lot of great stuff. Let's see, Susan in Milwaukee. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Turn it up, Susan. Hi, Susan. This is a Susan that you know. Okay. <laughs> um, I would say my song would be On the Road Again. 
Willie Nelson. You're a Willie Nelson fan there, Susan? Yes. Yes, <laughs> there you that's go. what I'm saying. Got it. Thanks okay. for the call. I appreciate it. Dude, you take care. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, uh, Susan and I used to work together in another life a long time ago. But on the ro- actually, the interesting story about On the Road Again, which became a huge success, but Willie Nelson wrote that for that, the Willie Nelson movie, remember, um, Honeysuckle Rose, that had slim pickings in it and stuff like that. And apparently, I think what happened is they needed a song. And so they say to Willie, hey, we, we need we need a song for, for this movie. He went and, and wrote it overnight. I mean, that's it. On the road again was, okay, they tell him at like 6 o'clock at night or something that they need the song. He comes back the next day. He's got On the Road Again, and it goes on to become, you know, one of his, uh, you know, one of his big songs. Uh, Jeff, ZZ Top, Heard It on the X. Yeah, I mean, you could go with a lot of ZZ Top songs that you just have to absolutely uh, turn it up. Jeff, Night Ranger, Don't Tell Me That You Love Me. Jeff, Bob Seeger, The Fire Down Below. Jeff, Take It Easy by, um, well, I mean, the Eagles do it. Jackson Brown does Take It Easy. Yeah, lots of those things that are out there. Um, let's see. A number of people are saying On the Road Again. Oh, here's one. Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London. Yeah, Werewolves of London would definitely be in the category of Turn It Up, Radar Love by Golden Earring. Um yeah, Jeff. Ray, oh, yes. Um, Werewolves of London. The kids would howl along while we were on the road to Florida. Okay, you know that's that's it. That's kind of it. I love it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to um, Bradford in West Bend. You're on WTMJ. Money for nothing. Dire straits. Oh. Yeah, I'm a big Dire Straits fan, and that's probably their most re- most recognizable song. Yeah, I, thanks for calling. No, I appreciate it. I, that would be another one that would definitely be a, a turn it up thing. Um, I you know I, I think if you're a regular listener, you know I'm a big Buffett fan. Um, my my Buffett song, which is the turn it up category, is the um, the Van Morrison. He does the remake of Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl. Whenever I hear Brown Eyed Girl, that's another one that it's just you, you got to turn it up. To me, that's part of the soundtrack of summer. Am uh, Ann in West Bend. Ann, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi Jeff. Um, Hi, Ann. I can't believe no one has said it yet. It's um, Don't Stop Believing by Journey. <laughs> you a Journey fan? Um, I am as far as that song goes, and it comes yeah. on, and I just can't help myself. Yeah, no, you're right. No, thanks for call. We we saw. I, th- I was in Las. Thanks for calling. We we were in Las Vegas a couple of years back, and um, with my wife and my my two um, stepdaughters, and we we saw Journey, and it was it was the the original band, and now they've they've got the the new lead singer and stuff, and it was it was quite an entertaining show. Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm voting for Schools Out by Alice Cooper. <laughs> oh, yes. That is a definite. That's even better in up. early June. <laughs> yeah. You're taking that early June road trip. Gene, th- th- Jim, thanks for the call. Yeah. Um, you know, you could, there's a lot of Alice Cooper stuff. And actually, Alice Cooper, I think, is incredibly underappreciated. There's a lot of great tunes that come from uh, the Alice Cooper repertoire. Uh, let's see. Luke Bryan, Country Girl. Um, country girl, shake it for me. Um, big and rich, save a horse, ride a cowboy. Okay. Um, BTO, riot, rolling down the highway. Um, low rider, low rider would be definitely be one of those. Jeff, anything from Sticks or from Rush? Jeff, for me, it's um, Freebird, which of course is. Um, 
uh, you know, from from Leonard Skinner. Uh, pretty much everything on Leonard Skinner would work. Yeah, here's a good one: "Running on Empty" by Jackson Brown. Yeah, that that's the quintessential road trip sort of tune. When it comes on, everybody turns that up. Don Henley, "The Boys of Summer," all good ones. And you know, my guess is. I'm going to hear a lot of those next week as we're making the drive. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thanks for participating in Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Tune in next week as Jeff Wagner explores another pop culture topic. Lots of people weighing in. I can't drive 55. Joan Jett, I love rock and roll. These are all great. Charlie Daniels, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Jeff, I'm in my semi. How about Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way? A lot of people weighing in. Yeah, we didn't hear much from Springsteen fans, but a lot of people weighing in now about Springsteen. A couple people mentioning Born to Run. Born to Run is definitely a turn it up song. As long as you're talking about the Springsteen canon, I'd also say, well, maybe 10th Avenue Freeze Out and Rosalita and, of course, Born in the USA. All those just absolutely great choices. And that's the one thing I, I love when we talk about segments. Oh, Queen. How did we not do Queen? We Will Rock You and Bohemian Rhapsody. App, free falling. All these are great tunes. Um, go on out. If you're driving around, the song comes up. You've got my permission. Turn it up. And if your spouse has got to cover their ears, that's okay. Like I say, I, I'm on vacation next week. I appreciate you spending the last couple hours with me. Be kind to the fill-in hosts. I'm back a week from Monday, 12 noon, when we do this all again. Have a great weekend and a great next week. Stay dry, stay stay warm, and Milwaukee Brewers baseball coming up. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.